0: I am Todd Nathanson, and I am whatever Matthew Broderick's been doing with his voice for the last 20 years,
1: <laughs> and no, I'm Lena act- Morgan. Hi, hello. Yes, that is actually Lena Morgan. Welcome to a Song vs. Song Patreon exclusive. Every month, you guys vote and make us watch something. This month, you made us watch Susan Stroman's The Producers. Not Mel Brooks's producers from 1968. Sumans, Susan Stroman's, the producers from 2005. Oh, my God. Uh, this would be, I think, at least the third time I've seen this, possibly fourth or fifth. Don't ask me how that happened. I saw it in theaters. Did you see it in theaters? Have you seen the Broadway musical? Because, you, you know, you've been in New York a long time.
0: I've never actually, I've never actually seen it. I wish that Raven wasn't out doing stuff, uh, but because I know Raven has seen it, I know
1: people who've seen the stage musical, which I don't think is ever coming back. But everyone says it's a great show. It was a humongous popular show. Everyone loved the producers on Broadway. Something went
0: horribly wrong. I mean, I'm sure that other people have answered this question in many different ways in the last 18 years. But we could take a crack at it. Uh, that'll that'll be fun. So I was I was watching it with Raven, and her theory was that at least part of the problem is that this style of musical production, the way that it's directed, was the, it's the wrong time, right? It came out in 2005, and that was the wrong time for this style of musical to be done as a movie.
1: Yeah, the first thing I noticed right away is that the style is very dated. Like, this is a parody of a kind of musical that hasn't existed since the original producers was made.
0: Well, what's so interesting about that is that, uh, I mean, I agree, but also the costumes and the setting for the 2005 movie technically predate... The 1968 movie, because it's set in like 1959 for some reason, which is not true of the 1968 film.
1: I missed that, but I, I could tell it it's certainly can't be taking place in the present day.
0: No, Uh I think. No one wears
1: a fucking tux to a Broadway musical anymore.
0: No, I think so. I, I have not looked this up. I assume that this is a William Ivy Long thing that uh, so he's the costume designer he was the costume designer on the on the Broadway show. He is the costume designer on this movie. and uh, I'm actually going to reference him a couple of times because I think that there's the way that I that I see the problem with this movie can be explained kind of with it's not the fault of William Ivy long, but the through point of where he starts and where he winds up, which is to say in the same role both times, which is a, I think is a mistake. Um, so William Ivy Long has a tendency to do costumes that I think are a little more in the style. Um, there certainly were the, the style of costumes that um, I think they – I mean it's not like they pulled them out of mothballs or anything. But I, I think that they basically just recreated and maybe did even reuse some of the costumes from the show, from the, the Broadway production. Oh, they,
1: they, re, they reused quite a bit from the show.
0: Yes. So that's the, – the common complaint about 2005's The Producers Is that Sue Stroman, the director of both the Broadway musical and this movie, um, did not change really anything and did not understand that uh, film is different from the stage.
1: Yeah, the, the first thing anyone says is that Susan Stroman has like she just detests the camera. As a device. She looks at it. She doesn't get what it is. And she hates that it exists. It is not a friend of hers.
0: I'm sure people have talked about this before, but like 2005. What a terrible year. <laughs> not a good year now. Because um, there so there are two other things that I often think of as related to this particular thing. One is that. um not only did this uh, musical get turned into a movie terribly, but so did another very famous um stage musical in the same year by one director Chris Columbus that being rent oh, that's the same year that's,
1: yeah, that's right.
0: And as an insult to Gene Wilder, also there was the other Willy Wonka movie. The other uh, (laughs) – that also came out in 2005. And So when we were talking at the beginning about how the timing is kind of bad, the 2000s, especially the early 2000s, is a fascinating time for movie musicals because you get stuff like Hedwig and Dancer in the Dark – uh, and you eventually get to Chicago, which is right. like the hit of hits, and also Moulin Rouge, right? Like these are all like pre two thousand five. All of them happen before this, uh, before these other movies are coming out that we're that we're talking about, and they kind of lay the groundwork, especially Chicago, right? This absolutely massive success, like the boilerplate. If you're going to take a stage musical and make a movie out of it, this is how you do it, right? Winning all the awards, um, absolutely beloved. I This was the this was one of the things that I rewatched while I was sort of preparing to talk about 2005 as a producer.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not like a Broadway guy, but I did take my parents to see Chicago when I lived in New York. And uh, having seen that now, uh, that is a masterpiece of bringing to the uh, of adapting to the, the screen,
0: well, it understood, and I think in a way, like I don't, I don't know if 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 somebody watched Dancer in the Dark and was like, ah, but Dancer in the Dark, the Bjork uh, Lars von Trier movie, sort of has this conceit that like Bjork has a does does a daydream, and when she daydreams, it's a musical, and Chicago uses a very similar device, which is that all of the the musical stuff is very dreamlike is kind of like Roxy Hart having an imagining for the most part. It's mostly her. Uh, And obviously the musical stuff is not really set in the real world except for like the very beginning and the very end for the most part, which is brilliant. Um, It it gives you a lot of leeway. And I want to give a very specific costume example for how this works brilliantly. There is the scene where um, she's in her nighty. And uh, and she's killed the guy. This is – I promise is going to go somewhere. She's killed this man and now her husband is covering for her. And she is now in her dream world singing a song about how great her husband is. And what happens is the costume that she's wearing in the real world is this very drab kind of nighty. And then they have this beautiful like sort of long-slip dress, which is the same thing, just slightly altered so as to be high-end, right? A really great way of expressing the idea that in a way she's still in the space and the other way she's imagining herself singing this song. Now, Chicago, the costume designer for the iconic looks of the stage show is William Ivy Long. William Ivy Long is not the designer for the film. The designer on the film is Colleen Atwood. And if you know anything about costume designers, you know that Colleen Atwood is the shit. She did Edward Scissorhands, Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, uh, Little Women. Um, I mean like – there's like, it's like a who's who of like movies that like some are incredible, some of them are less so, but like the costumes are always really notable. Like she did like Mars Attacks and Sleepy Hollow and Gattaca and like there's just like a, a million things before you even get to Chicago. Um, she did like Memoirs of a Geisha. If you look her up, she's just – she's unbelievable and she understands how you transfer from one medium to another. I don't, I love William I. Lee Long is a great costume designer. Would never deny it. Um, one of his great gifts is that he understands how to do a big costume change, like live and in motion on stage, right? Like he does stuff with magnets where like he can get Cinderella from like the, the, the sort of like peasant wear into like a full gown, like as if by magic. This is a thing that he has the capacity to do. He really knows how to rig a thing. A genius. But I don't know how much he knows about film and I certainly don't know that Stroh gave him sufficient time to get it done because what you wind up with is this very literal interpretation. And I feel like that as a kind of a – as a microcosm represents the problem with the entirety of 2005's The Producers.
1: That was a long way to say it, but like they didn't change anything. They – it feels like – this, it may as well be a pro shot. Like it, they've done no effort to adapt it. All the jokes I assume are the same because most of them do not work on, on screen. There's a joke on there where like uh, Matthew Broderick walks away and Uma Thurman says, Oh, Leo Bloom, why you walk so far camera, right? And I'm like, what are you doing? That's that is a joke that can only work on stage. Camera right isn't a thing people say, is it? I don't even know if it is a thing they say. It's not a joke I get that I would get the same way I'd get it if he said stage right. It's weird. And to film on sets also felt weird to me.
0: Oh, so I have. Why? Because you felt that it should have been more like New York.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like,
0: I disagree. It it didn't didn't feel enough
1: like it didn't feel enough like a 60s movie musical. It just kind of looked bad. It looked bad.
0: I thought they should have gone full if they, Wizard of Oz, like everything's painted sound stages. Like, I, the magical realism of fakeness, right? Like, I think that, you know, in that, in that way that, um, that new Barbie movie as of this recording was that brand new Greta Gerwig Barbie movie, which is all what? like painted sets and stuff, right? Like, that was the point was that it was not supposed, to, you know, it was supposed to be like like Wizard of Oz, like like a lot of like Jacques De Mille movies and stuff like that. Um, I think that this movie would have been better served if they had skipped the realism part entirely, um, because we already have that in the 1968 producers, which to me feels very, very New York, right? Very grimy 1960s New York. Uh, another criticism that I'm not sure if I even dare speak its name, but like I don't know I was I watched the two thousand and five movie I watched the nineteen sixty eight movie and then I looked back to the two thousand and five movie and I thought not Jewish enough like <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to I don't know how to put that like how to even explain it, but like the nineteen sixty eight movie when they go to to find the the kraut, right the guy who they want to get the show from, there's mm-hmm. a woman who is like sticks her head out um, of the apartment building and she refers to herself as the concierge and she keeps complaining about the, the birds that he's got up on the roof, you know, and she's got this very particular way of talking that sounds exactly like my great aunt Lorraine. I've told you (laughs) the story about my, uh, when uh, Raven met my great aunt Lorraine, she asked Raven what her name was. And when Raven said her name is Raven, Lorraine said, isn't that some kind of horrible bird? <laughs> you have told me the story yes. before. And then when we stared at her gobsmacked, she turned to her husband and was like, then um, I'm right. Is, isn't the raven some kind of horrible bird? And my great uncle Armin said, yes. And like, to me, 1968's The Producers has got a lot of that energy. And 2005's well, Producers has only a little bit of that energy. I uh
1: I did not know this but apparently uh Matthew Broderick is half Jewish. Yes, did he You is. know that?
0: I did not know that. I did in fact it was, so when I thought this thought I was like I should ch- I should look into I should double check some things. Um but I mean Nathan Lane is not I I listen, it's not about whether or not. There's a there's a certain kind of energy I feel um that is just kind of overall lacking we should talk about matthew broderick versus jim wilder also
1: uh okay i didn't see the stage show nathan lane and matthew broderick were the stars of that apparently they killed apparently but i watched this as a movie not having seen the stage show it seems very obvious to me that both castings are for much worse I like, yeah, I think Nathan Lane is terrible, and I think Matthew Broderick is terrible, at least in this movie. I also think Will Ferrell's terrible. Will Ferrell's terrible. Uma Thurman's terrible. Everyone Uma, is Th- fucking Uma terrible. Uma Thurman
0: is the only person that I would I would argue has got something. Literally, the only person in the entire movie that I go, you know what? Maybe I can make an argument for Ula, but um, that's it. Um, but I don't want to – so here's the thing. My my diagnosis is that uh, Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, as our two main leads, are pitching it to the cheap seats, which is a weird thing to do when you're on camera.
1: Yeah, well, they are pitching it to the cheap seats. It's weird to do in front of a camera. The camera is doing nothing. It is not to the cheap seats. It's just sitting there, which is why there's like a weird disconnect.
0: But like Matthew Broderick – it's like I don't want to say that he's always at a 10 because he's always at a 10 billion. No, I, I mean like <laughs> he's – like once he gets into the too high energy, it's like he can't turn it off, right? Like if you look at like – so like Jim Wilder with the with the blue blanket, right? Like he does go to a very strange place, right? Like he is – like Matthew Broderick is definitely trying to do the same thing, right? And they both do that like, you know, like that, that terrible sound, except that Jim Wilder knows how to pull back from it very quickly. And Matthew Broderick, once he's in it, it's like he becomes like orgasmic, like there's something (laughs) so weirdly kinky about it, so sexual. And I never got that vibe off of the Jim Wilder performance, no matter how many. And I've watched that movie many times, by the way, I watched that for like 10 billion and six whatever it was, and I still laughed my ass off watching that version. That version's great. Um, but Matthew Broderick is going so hard and all I kept thinking was stop. Or, to put it in the language that Matthew Broderick would understand, stop!
1: Nathan Lane is not as outwardly irritating as Matthew Broderick has been for since 1996 or wherever, but Nathan Lane's most famous role is about how he is incapable of even doing a halfway plausible impression of a heterosexual. Like, that's the the entire joke of the birdcage. He cannot fake it. I really did not feel in any way that I was looking at a guy who would uh, catcall out a window at Uma Thurman. He does not feel like a sleazy producer to me. He doesn't seem like a cigar-puffing... Uh, you know, ass grabbing guy. He and seems yet, like
0: Nathan Lane. So here's the thing about that. Um, my other big criticism of this movie, especially when you watch it back to back with the 1968 version and also, by the way, when you watch Chicago, because like Chicago and, and and the producers have this thing in common, which is that there are two scumbags. That you're, that you're supposed to root for, and one is like a dyed-in-the-wool scumbag, and uh, one of them is new to being a scumbag. That is but correct. The, th- the thing about the 2005 movie is that um, I hate these men. <laughs> they are not charming in any way. They are detestable. I do not want them to succeed. I want them to fail. They are garbage. And despite the fact that Zero Mostel um, is kind of a scumbag – in the 1968 version, and and Gene Wilder's uh, um, Leo Bloom gets pulled into it. I like those guys. I kind of want them to win, even though they're bad. You know, it's a, it's the same thing with Chicago, right? Like those two women did some murders, but I still am rooting for them, right? Like you, yeah. My understanding is that you're meant to have someone to root for. <laughs> and there's nobody to root for in the 2005 version the way these men is are played and they're so scummy and they are awful to women absolute garbage and then the movie d- goes into like how you become more homophobic than your 1968 counterpart i don't know but okay. they did it boy did they do it
1: it is 1968 it happened it was a, you know that's the the style at the time i actually am not a big fan of uh, the original producers it's not my favorite Mel Brooks I, of the big three Mel Brooks movies. I think it's uh, pretty well behind *Blazing Saddles* and *Young Frankenstein*, but you know it, it it works. And you said something; it's it's not Jewish enough. I didn't realize that until you said it. But like, yeah, yeah, like there's just not a lot of like that Jewish comedy energy.
0: It's the 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 kind of neurosis that they're trying to go for; they fail at so completely. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing that I like about the original, and like I'm very different from you. I would probably put I think it's like Young Frankenstein number one, producers number two, Blazing Saddles probably number three. Like yeah. I, you know, I don't I know that uh, we come from a crew that that are beholden to Blazing Saddles above all, but it's oh yeah, uh, crew. Who are you talking about? I'm I, me and I-, I. Okay, fair enough. But like I love the producers. I have always loved the producers. There is this beautiful desperation to everybody in that movie. Uh, Leo is desperate in his way. Uh, Max is desperate, and the other thing is that like our Nazi is also very desperate. Right? It's the thing that kind of unifies them in a very strange way. Like he also is truly desperate, but in a in a when he's not being a a Nazi about it, it's almost very quiet. They all have quiet desperation, always, always happening in the background, right? And it's truly subtle, except when it's these explosive moments, right? But like, that's the thing that makes it work. And 2005, there's no subtlety. None of it exists at all. Either it's slathered on the walls, all in white, if you will, Right, like that scene where like Uma, Thur- Uma Thurman's like painted the whole place white, mm-hmm. like that's like a metaphor for the whole problem, right? Like everything is <laughs> one, white, everything's one color. Like how am I supposed to differentiate one from it's? It's awful. It's truly terrible, and it's. I feel like this and and Rent and uh, Phantom of the Opera, which came out the year before, um, like single-handedly, single-handedly, like as a multi-hander, killed. The uh, the success of the movie musical in a pretty profound way, and like and it certainly wasn't helped along by the fact that um, by the time you get to two thousand eight, you you start getting to like uh, Johnny Depp being in musicals of where he's a barber of some kind that's doing murders. I
1: mean, it, it, I mean Sweeney Todd, Hairspray, Mamma Mia, like whether you like those or not, those were big hits. It but just they, but, hit a but, hit a sag in the middle of that decade.
0: With, I don't like, think of them as being like. But not in the way that, like, Chicago was a hit. Not in the way that, like, you know... I guess Dreamgirls... Is that before or after? Dreamgirls is a hit, right? I like, c-
1: Kind of. It, was, it wasn't a huge hit, but it wasn't, like, a disaster
0: either. Not the way that Phantom of the Opera and uh, Rent were. I just think of, like... I feel like musicals kind of... They move to, um, like, TV movies after that, right? Because after 2005, you know, you get um, the first of the high school musicals. Oh, and I feel right, like that's sort that's, of like, that's where we're heading after that. That's where the success is.
1: Can I ask? I, I didn't know who was the one who wrote the music, you know, who adapted the producers into the music, wrote the songs and all that. And I was, uh, pretty shocked to discover that the, the person they hired to do this was in fact, Mel the man himself, Mel Brooks.
0: Listen, Mel is not good at everything. <laughs> Not everything Mel touches turns to gold. That's not. Yeah, I was
1: like, I was wondering how this stuff to you because like Mel Brooks, even at the time, was a seventy year old man. He's a very old man, and the to me, those jokes all seemed so dated. The style was of the music was dated, and like, I mean that it fits because it's a parody of like the fifties musicals, the sixties musicals, and all that. But like the jokes. Felt mothballed. Yeah, I, mean, I
0: just... I feel like if they had leaned in, right? Like I said, what I, my my idea of it being all on sound stages. Like, if they'd even gone so far as to, like... Instead of having it be, like, you know, this, this beautiful... Exp- what appeared to me very expensive widescreen production. They should have done, like... It was, like, a 1940s movie, right? Like, full frame, tight shots, like fast talking like even in like black and white if they want there's a lot of ways they could have done this where they made a stylistic choice and then some of these jokes some of what they had there would have landed better i don't yeah, i still me- think it would be good but like the problem truly number 1 forever for me is that stro thought she was making a big budget movie musical and that's just not what was on the page that's not what's there i mean it's a screwball comedy of the 1940s variety
1: uh like the one scene that like they really lean into is like it seemed like it was working for me Is a springtime for hitler that's the big that's what everything is building to and i would say it works ish
0: but not as well as the 1968 version works
1: Man, like, like the, the the problem is that the camera is is sitting there, and it does nothing. The camera's sitting there, and it does nothing. She doesn't know what to do with it. She doesn't know where it goes. She doesn't know which side is up. She doesn't know if it goes under the tripod or on it. And it's, she's never worked in film ever again after this. And it's just so bad. Like, none of the jokes land. Like, there's like a weird little joke where he's Broderick is having like his Broadway fantasy, and there's like an for some reason in his fantasy with the kicking showgirls, one of them is like short and ugly, I guess. yep, and I'm just like, what is the joke here or like, did this work on stage? I don't get it. There' one amazing scene that I, I had a friend watching with me pointed this out. During the audition scene, the, the bunch of Hitlers, one of them's supposed to be walking off stage, doing the Heil, Goose stepping up. And you can see in the background, because they didn't film it right, he's like, okay, done. And he just walks away, even though the camera's still on him. You can see him in the background. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's terrible. It just, yeah, I don't, I how these things happen. I mean, there are goofs so, in every movie. I guess that's not really like a high criticism, although it does feel like it typifies
1: the the problem that like
0: yeah i just like sorry so let's 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 disagree on a thing let's okay. talk let's talk about ula because you know there is this very clear thing that's happened which is you know they they made a musical and uh musicals require this thing called woman uh woman lead right you need to have you probably should have one of those right like an ingenue like that's kind of important not every musical's got them but like it's probably a good idea to have like a woman in the show Did, yeah being being a woman do it do it do, do live in life as a woman does is singing songs <laughs> and things you know just just for fun mm-hmm. just for laughs so like the idea of saying like hey so we had this character ula in the 1960s version and her whole thing is that she just like takes off her clothes and dance dances, and I guess also has sex with with Zero Mustel, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we like gave her something? Is a good idea. I think that's a sound idea. I think that works. Uh, I'm entirely pro the idea of get, saying like, all right, let's like. Let's dirty rotten scoundrels. This let's have we need we need like a woman who's like kind of playing gullible but knows what's going on the whole time. Except that's mm. not really what they do, right? Like there's such an like an obvious through point, which is that Ula's gaming them. She knows what they're doing. She's right. like she's probably not even really Swedish. And very <laughs> very famously, you know Uma Thurman. Um, it's not that she's not Swedish at all, but like her accent's very bad. It's not a good Swedish accent she's doing. And, it's not.
1: Uh, I would say it's not the worst accent in the movie, but it's, it's debatable.
0: It's bad. It's bad enough that, you know, I think even if you're not Swedish, you'd still be like, oh, that doesn't seem right. Um, that if they'd kind of like let the, the final note of it be that she was gaming them the whole time, right, like would be pretty smart. But they don't do that. The closest they get to that is that they've cast Uma Thurman. Now, yeah. I am of the opinion Ula, that... Uma, Uma. Uma, Yes. Ula, yeah. yes. U- Uma, Ula, Oprah. Oprah, <laughs> yeah. Ula, Uma. That's a David Letterman joke from, like, the Academy Awards from, like, 35 years ago. I'm glad that you and I both know this, but the kids <laughs> who listen are not going to know what the hell we're talking about, and they shouldn't. It's a terrible joke. I'm pretty sure David Letterman has apologized for that joke. No, it was anyway. like a
1: f- Anyway, go on. Yeah. Yes.
0: So... I think, you know, Beatrix Kiddo herself, Uma Thurman, has got some fucking range. And also, you know, not to make it about the most, like, simplistic thing, but, like, she beautiful. Like, Uma Thurman, a stunning human being, uh, and is very – I think she's got great physical acting, and I mm-hmm. think in that way, she's very funny. She's got great physical comedy in a way that I quite frankly don't think uh, Matthew Broderick or Lathan, Nathan Lane display in this film at least. Like I know that at least one of them is capable of it, but neither of them is doing it in the film. Whereas Uma Thurman I think kind of gets how to, to be like full body funny even if the script doesn't give it to her. So yeah, I'll, like- I'll stump for Ula all day. Like is it great? No, do I think she's the best part of the movie? Yes. Uh, I think the car- like the jokes
1: are so bad, and not for her, but like for the movie that I, I didn't particularly enjoy any of her performance. I, I guess my problem is more with the-, the writing than anything, but so there's another ter- terrible accent in this movie. Will Farrell. Will Farrell, the hottest comedian of 2005, does a small part in this movie. He doesn't have to be doing this. He is no. hot off of old school and Anchorman. And here he is. And he is straight at the height of his powers. Lousy. He is lousy in this movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It, what's so bizarre about it is that like the fo- like I get that he. I think he was, you know, I, clearly a fan of the original. Like that's that's. I'm sure that's why he did it. But I think he also wanted to be able to branch out a little bit, as evidenced by the fact that the following year he was in Stranger Than Fiction, one of the, the the weirder roles that he's taken on, one of the most straight roles he's done. Yeah, and not a perfect movie, but certainly a much better movie than this.
1: Yeah, Will Ferrell. I don't know. Like, clearly he has to be a fan. If he is a, like a, a film comedian, he has seen the producers at some point, which I think might be the problem, because it seems like he doesn't really know how to do this character, which isn't his. You put let him be Ron Burgundy. He has that character. He knows it down. This is just somehow out of his wheelhouse. I'm not
0: sure. Well, you know but- what? All right. So I'm going to I have a theory about this. And my theory is that this is once again a strobe problem because she's shooting it without really moving the camera around at all. So it's basically very live, right? Like they even recorded a lot of the the vocals uh, that are in the film are actually like live vocals, which I'm sure seemed like a great idea, very impressive at the time. I'm not really sure that, that that made a difference one way or the other in the end. But, you know, that probably put Will Ferrell in the mindset of. He's on SNL. Yes. And that's the thing. Like if you watch his performance, it's a it's a very Saturday Night Live sketch kind of performance. Yeah. Which don't He's, make no damn sense.
1: I don't know. Like it doesn't help that he has like
0: a couple of the worst songs. Well, I, the the music we could talk about, too. Um, I don't know that it's this, the Raven had said this thing that I thought was really smart because they cut a lot um, to their credit. I feel they could have cut they could have cut a lot more.
1: I am surprised to hear that. I'm surprised they made any alterations whatsoever. They but did. They cut
0: they cut they cut a number of songs, but like there's still these songs. Like there's a song that's like a Matthew Broderick song, and then there's the betrayed song that Nathan Lane has. And these songs, you know, like Oh God, the
1: betrayed song. Like, like if were they, ever where they were like, hey, made.
0: here's what did you forget what happened in this movie? Well, in fairness, it's been going for two hours. <laughs> so, you know, like maybe, and it's still got a little ways to go. But that's another thing, right? Like that's a two, almost a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and the original movie is like an hour and a half. Um, much better. But the thing about some songs in stage shows is that they have a utility to them, and the utility is there's a lot of big costume changes happening behind the scenes and probably also some really big Set changes happening, so they need this song in, so that like someone can kind of come like all the way down center stage, have a little spot on them, and they do a little like number, a little soliloquy kind of deal, so that they can do the shit in the background for the next five ten minutes. Uh, this is a movie; we don't need those songs. Fucking cut them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the betrayed one was uh, like just stunning. Like it serves. Absolutely no purpose in this film. Like, he does little bits of every song that we've already heard, a reprise of all those songs. And it's just stunning. Like, uh, just staring at each other is like, how could this have not been cut? It doesn't need to exist. It serves no purpose. They did a live Jesus Christ superstar. Uh, you know, a couple years ago on TV and unlike a lot of the, you know, the live musicals, this one was like a live musical in front of a giant crowd, like in a, like the Hollywood Bowl or something. And I got that musical for the first time once I got that it has to be in front of a giant crowd that that musical makes no sense unless you understand it as a big, giant pop concert. And stuff like that does not necessarily uh, translate to uh, the magic of the, the the cinema. Like this is a prime example, like without the crowd cheering at the end of it. It's like, wow, you did that entirely in, in one shot alone on stage without the crowd cheering for it. It just doesn't make any sense. And there, I feel like there are more than one song like that. I'm trying to think of what I'm I'm trying to say here. Like there's got to be another one because there's a bunch of them. You know who we haven't talked about yet? Who? Uh Carmen Gia and Roger
0: Debris. Well, I brought them up earlier when I said how how is it in two thousand five that they did how something you- that was that was more homophobic than what was in nineteen sixty eight. Uh it really you know what it makes me think of. It's like when they cast Benedict Cumberbatch to play Khan. And you're like, how did they go further? How do we? How did we cast? Uh, it, like they were like, well, we cast a um, Ricardo Montalban, also not a Sikh, but at <laughs> least not like fully white. blindingly white. And then uh, they like. were like, and, and then all of a sudden it was like the was like the 2010s, <laughs> and they're like, we're gonna do that con thing again. I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna cast. The the whitest, most British, most history of owning people <laughs> guy, like not him, but his family, you know, like that's who will get to play con, you know. Um and to me, it's I oh, oh, it's just terrible. Like I, at least in the nineteen sixty-eight version, they've got this thing uh brevity. <laughs> Right, you get in, you do something vague, vaguely homophobic, you get out, and I think, God, that 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 could have been worse. It's 1968; that could have gone so much worse. They and, uh, and they it, they it's, sure it's make great, a, but not the worst.
1: They sure make a production out of the gay jokes in this one, quite literally. Yes, that they, scene they, goes on for
0: ever, and much like they would gotten Ula in, they were like. Well, here's what's going to fix the homophobia problem. A dyke. Let's have one <laughs> one really butch lesbian. That'll that'll solve the pro Now it's all fine. I <sighs> Terrible. It's so the only thing I can say is bless William Ivy Long the the dress um that he wears and that is much better than the dress of the 1960s version because there's this structural area down by the hips that gives him this, like, very nice sort of, like, line. Like, his figure looks really nice. And I was like, this is great. This is, in fact, other than the Chrysler building thing, which is actually also kind of funny, um, It's a it's a really well-made dress. And I'm like, do I believe a guy that's this camp and this over the top? would wear something so basic in 1968. No, 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 no. He would have gone a lot harder. And I was like, you know, then we get this dress that came out and I was like, now this is a dress. Okay. But other than that, fucking terrible. It's, you know, I, I'm
1: trying to remember if I was offended in 2005 because, you know, I was just a, you know, a stupid little college student. I cannot believe like this completely passed over people, even, At the time, this feels out of date, even in the early 2000s. Like I said, like Mel Brooks is a 75 year old man. I realize he is the legend, the god, but he is not a perfect person. And he is quite old. Maybe we can convince him not to. I mean, they cut out the hippie stuff. They, you know, I forget his name. That character, but they cut out the hippie because it didn't make sense anymore outside of 1968. Perhaps we could have done that with the gay jokes.
0: Yeah, it's, maybe it's, it's maybe. a it's a weird it's a weird thing. Yeah, because like the hippie, I'll tell you, you know, the hippie stuff obviously doesn't land quite the same way in in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. But like, I still get it. Like, I'm not confused by it. Um it's still it still has its charms, whereas the gay stuff is only worse right like had of the two things right, if they'd cut the gay stuff out entirely, all the gay jokes, and kept the hippie stuff, weirdly, I think I would have had less of a problem with it, <laughs> I mean, maybe not weirdly, but like you know it just feels so backwards. Um, and at least like if you'd had like a weird aging hippie play, you know, like a weird like Gallagher type, <laughs> to, that in and of itself a very dated reference, you know. But um, right. I, it's very it's very strange. Yes, like truly, you know, Mel Brooks used to do this bit about being the two thousand year old man, <laughs> and then one day he woke up and he was the two thousand year old man. It's a very strange thing to have happen to you. I think there's a it. I, yeah, I don't know what, what to add to it. It truly, like, I'm not offended easily. Um, there are way worse things in the world. This is, relatively speaking, not that bad. Yeah, when I'm, not, you, I'm, when not, you, I'm not. When you look at the state, like, I'm not like offended by it. It's just, it's hacky. It's, yeah, it's boring. It's predictable. It's a joke that's been told a million times before. Like, there are times that I look back at gay jokes and I'm like, well, at least it landed. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, at least, like, I can go like, you know what? This is well executed. There's a there's a bit towards the end of this movie where, like, they have, like, an, a literal, like, Irish police officer come oh, in. Oh, yeah. To- what the hell was that? You know, and, like, Sorry. Irish listeners I I'm I'm doing an impression of the 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 way that Americans used to do the the yeah. the, the oh, over the top Oh, Faith in Bagora. Right. Like this is this is a thing. I'm not actually doing an impression of an Irish person. I'm doing an impression of an American person from the 1950s doing an impression of an Irish person. Trust me. It's a real thing. Anyway, you know, he does the thing and then like Nathan Lane parrots it back and then like his his voice keeps getting higher and higher and he's and he and he's like i know as we used to say in the old country taxi and like i was like great that lands like that very check please thing like that bit and then like when will Ferrell comes in and yells at the at the at the at the director and and his partner uh and he's like talking about how like they made hitler look ridiculous and they do a thing where they pop up from behind the couch and they're like it wasn't that hard like it's like that very like merry melodies bit i think is funny like that still makes me laugh i feel like there's something very timeless about that but that's you know like that only made me think more why isn't this full frame full frame like very like actually done in the old style right like just just completely stylistically commit to it if there are those kinds of bits In your movie. Don't make it widescreen. Don't make it expensive looking. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Uh, One last thing. Speaking of uh, whether or not we were offended. The whole premise of this show in 1968 and so on is that you would put a Hitler thing on Broadway and it would be so offensive to people that it would bomb. I think that is still true, but I'm watching this in 2023. I was like, I wouldn't test this theory because this feels a little more like loaded than it did in the 60s or in 2005.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I we were talking about um uh, whatever this is a private podcast. We can say whatever we want about like the idea of like Elon Musk. Right. Like if someone had like started like making content that just like ripped on him. Unmerciful. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it wouldn't work. He'd love the attention. <laughs> the people who the people who love him, would would ride to defend him, and it wouldn't play at all, right? Like the thing about, I think I w- I was thinking about this quite a bit, right? Look, Hitler being a punching bag is never going to get old to me. I'm i certainly <laughs> happy happy to watch Hitler be a punching bag forever. That's how yeah, that, that's how that's how that should be, but you know um in 1968 it hits a little harder because it's yeah. a little bit closer
1: yeah people that's in living memory people were there
0: yeah people, i mean they like tell dude, you look, about
1: it they, the people who liberated the, the camps they were there
0: as as, tell, as i, as I often it. say you know like it is still like you know it's 2023 and my my mentality is that's not that far away, still, but yeah. you know, you're talking like almost. It's like a yeah, but you'd have to right? seek so someone close. out
1: today to to you know to have you know go to the old folks' home and find someone who was there versus in 1968 where he just walked down the street and was like, "Did you serve?" He was like, "Yeah, I served in Europe. Here's what I saw."
0: Yeah, it's a very, it's just a very different time to be doing that. It hits a lot harder. That makes the joke work a lot better. You know, I truly do think that, like. If Trump died today and then eventually like after he'd been dead for like, t- like 15, 20 years or like whatever amount of time, then like it had truly became a thing where like he was the actual butt of the joke. Like he was history's joke and he was gone. He couldn't do any more damage and like he, he died in such shame that everyone felt like they had to crawl under their rock because they would agreed with him. If that had happened, then you could do it. But the thing that's sort of upsetting not to not to belabor the point is I don't know that we live in such a time where that can ever happen again. <laughs> like we, we've, we've created all these little spaces for people to safely be awful and and, and so they are. Um, yeah, it's very different now. like I don't I, I, I couldn't tell you how much I thought about that in 2005. I'm sure the answer is is somewhat, but you know it, it's very weird watching it now because uh you know not things we sure have got them now in very large numbers and they don't seem scared at all which is what they're always supposed to be so it's weird it's a very it's 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 different i don't like it <laughs> it's not fun i'm glad that we yeah, talked it, about this so we could pad out to 50 minutes but jesus it's depressing
1: yeah uh it it seemed like the the basic joke seemed funnier to me in 2005 than it does in 2023 And I'm sure it was funnier in 1968. But like I said, it hit harder because like he, would you know, even though Hitler was dead and defeated and so on, I'm sure it was like amazing to, you know, not just treat him like a monster, but also as a fucking clown.
0: Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love I mean, I that's what makes the 1960s version so good, you know, Um, and even into the. Two thousand five, even though, even then, I think it's different because it's it's a post nine eleven world, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I I remember I was I was very much alive. I was an adult. Uh, I was of legal drinking age when that shit happened, and I could tell you, like, what was the very first thing that occurred? Jews did nine eleven. That was like right in the wake of it. So, like, it it still fucking sucks. Even in two thousand five, like, anti semitism was like way up, way up. I was I get anxious going through like Tsa I remember like distinctly that I started getting I was like oh that thing that is always quietly in the background of my life has suddenly gotten a lot louder um so yeah it's kind of a it was it was a kind of an interesting time to do it I suppose right kind of kind of an interesting choice but again uh 2005s the producers not Jewish enough that's that's really that's really my my big statement. Yeah, not, the, the, not Jewish enough.
1: Like there is the you know the nice bit in the original where once they can you know drop the act, they can like take off their swastika bands and they like they spit on it and they toss it in the garbage, and that is a nice moment just to remind us like yes we do live in a moral universe. We're not like just making Nazi jokes because ooh edgy. We do have like a a sense of functioning right and wrong.
0: Yeah, they don't really seem to have that in 2005. You know what else I thought was kind of interesting, boy, this is not to people want a long episode. Screw them. Let's go. Um the old ladies <laughs> the old all, lady bit are all basically like like they're all extras for the most part. And the, there's the woman at the beginning and the 2005 version. I don't know. They're all saps. They're just suckers. What I like about the 1968 version is every old lady is very distinct. Yeah. They're totally different energy. The first one very much knows what she wants. She's very in charge of the situation. She doesn't seem like a sucker at all to me. And uh, some of them do. Like some of them are more are like, some of them are just downright deaf. And like, he just has to scream like Jackie, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's it. It's a funny scene. Yeah. But there's, but there's that one montage. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. There's the one scene where like, He's on like a motorcycle and like the whole lady's like trying to get him to be more death defying like I love that stuff. That stuff's fun. Like they give they give those women something to do. And again, it's the situation in 2005 where like yeah, I get that when you made this a stage show those were all the company actors. Those were all your like those were all your dancers, right? You're reusing them for multiple roles over and over again, and and so Stroh's thing was, we'll just do the same thing, and it's like, right, but this isn't a stage show, Stroh, so, like, you don't have to do that. We could have the – we could do, like, the 1960s where they all have, like, little character traits, like, give them, give them something. Come on, and she just doesn't, and it's like, A, it takes something, I think, wonderful away that's in the original and B again reveals the fact that Sustroman just does not understand that you're supposed to do something different when you have a camera in your hand than when you have just the stage. It's just it's singularly bizarre. Yeah, like they have the understand. old ladies
1: do uh, the big dance number, and like you know, big dance numbers are are cool when you see them live on the screen it's not as impressive and i don't know what she thought like i hope if only they had made a movie version of the producers musical is my conclusion at the end of this like maybe they'll make well i'm they're definitely never gonna make they certainly can't make one now i don't think the producers is ever coming back to broadway
0: no one's producing that <laughs> got him yeah i don't know i just i think it's interesting to go back and just like cuz there's so many things where they do take exactly from the 68 version and you could just see every time why the 68 version is better i always think like uh, of um the bit where um leo finally gets convinced that he's going to he's going to do this thing and they're like in front of the 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 um the fountain mhm it's shot even similarly where like the the camera's all the way back except it's the it's the physical acting it's the way that zero mustalin and and and, um, and jim wilder are running around the fountain and then they cut to a different angle with some more of a close-up shot and it's just so much more endearing right like there's a minimalism to it and also Definitely to kind of to your credit to the thing you'd said about um, utilizing New York City a little bit more. Lincoln Center is in the background in the 1960s version. And like it's pretty early (laughs) in the day for for Lincoln Center looking like that. And it's pretty like I watched it and I was like, oh, right. Like Lincoln Center still looks like exactly the same. That's cool. Like, look at that. (laughs) There it is. It's New York. I know that place. I live there. And it it's just endearing, right? Like everybody's got this weird affableness to them. You know? Even the Nazi <laughs> is like, you know, he's still a Nazi. So, but like he's honestly kind of weirdly affable and like um I, I would argue nobody. And I I, 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 bl- I I blame the director. I blame Stro for that. Like yeah. there's some somebody should have told them to like rein it the fuck in. Like somebody needed to have a full company meeting and go like, okay, hey, let's come. We sit. <laughs> I think. Ugh. I think a big
1: problem with Will Ferrell is that he just constantly looks like Will Ferrell. <laughs> versus the Kenneth Mars in the original, who looked like an an actual Nazi, like he could have been. Yeah, versus uh, Will Ferrell is just he's on SNL. Yes. He put yes. on the costume for this.
0: With the with the with the and it, you pull up your 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 pants. So you can show off your, your, your socks and such.
1: Yeah. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, Boy, that movie sucked. I have seen it way too many times.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I've not seen it as many times as you have, but I, yes, I had, I I had
1: friends in college who really liked it and they made me watch it a couple times. I saw it in theaters on my own because I was curious. I mean, listen,
0: uh, I'll say, can I say one positive thing about it? That's actually really backhanded. What? It was the first movie to shoot at Steiner Studios. What is that? Oh well, it's a it's a it's a studio in New York City. Uh, it was only like ninety percent done being built at the time, and so like there were a lot of things that the movie required, and there was money to go in, and so I think that like Steiner probably uh, maybe got some extra bells and whistles in the in the latter ten percent of its creation. And you know, I I say this every now and again. I say this when I defend Greatest Showman. A lot of New York actors got paid (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, when when Raven watched it with me and the credits rolled, you know, like once we got to like the all of like the the extras, all the dancers, all the all the people. Right. Like Raven was like, I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. Right. Like Raven has worked at Steiner Studios. That's nice. But that's just me basically respecting like the hardworking New York talent, um, which I do. Um, and I just can't really say anything nice about the leads or the director. Because tell you they what, just I d- I never sat shot. through the
1: credits before, and the the part where Will Ferrell starts singing uh, "Guten Tag, Hop, clop but it sounds like a like Brian Adams' Marble ballad. For-
0: oh yeah, or that yeah.
1: <coughs> that that didn't that did get a big laugh out of me.
0: That's pretty. It's pretty funny. And then they yeah. have uh, Mel Brooks at the end do the Ferris Bueller thing.
1: Yeah, i i i i think we may be like the first two people who have ever seen that because I, I had no idea. That <laughs> yeah. Who people sat just through the fucking up. credits of the producers of Five?
0: It's bad. It's a it's a truly it's a truly terrible terrible show. What's your knee jerk? If I, if I asked you what's worse, this or Chris Columbus's Rent? Oh, that's an easy question for me. It's this. It's the producers. Yeah, at least I can say that Chris Columbus made a movie. Yeah. It's a bad movie, by the way. That is, that is, that is like, you know, truly, I don't, I think if you've, if the only version of Rent you've ever seen is that, I don't know how you like Rent.
1: <laughs> no, like, Phantom of the Opera 04 and Rent 05 are just, like, terrible. But the producer's 05 is absolutely worse by margins. It's not close. It's not. Uh, which is like, <laughs> It's the one most like the stage musical. It's the most faithfully adapted. But that's no, I not I guess the, <laughs> I guess they did the uh put most of the cast of Rent in there too, so actually I don't know. Maybe it's a, Rent was pretty faithful also.
0: Yeah, but it's still yeah, I don't It's just it's a movie, man. It's a fucking movie. <laughs> like yeah. you you watch Chicago and you think that's how that's how it's done. That's how you do that. Like Chicago is a beautiful wish we were talking about that movie
1: well, well we'll do something you want next month i think
0: oh yes most almost almost assuredly at this point and uh as much as you don't usually like an anime thing i think that you will prefer I've, if we're I've doing seen, if we end up doing perfect blue i think you will like perfect blue more than you like have seen the producers
1: i've seen paprika i liked that i don't remember much about it but i, I remember enjoying it
0: well, if you if, if you if you liked the little bit of Satoshi Kon that you've seen, uh, I think that the odds are at least decent that you will like it again. You you couldn't it would be if you came back and said that you disliked that more than this. I, I think pod, <laughs> I think our I think our podcast and friendship. I mean, I'm end. not going
1: to promise you that I, I will like it, but I can assure you I will like it more than the producers Five. Hooray! All right, thank you for listening, everybody. That was song versus song. Thank you for voting for this. It sucked. <laughs> and I I like watching bad things. I'm like Ben Shapiro. I do it for money. Uh, oh.
0: Don't be stupid, B.S. Marty. Come and join the song versus song Patreon.
1: <laughs> oh, you <laughs> already you. did. Thank Bye. you for donating. So long, everyone.